Today is going to be challenging. We're still in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount message that, that Jesus gave 2,000 years ago. And uh, one of the challenges that we've been facing is, is making it real for today. There's a temptation to make a message or a sermon or something that was given 2,000 years ago as irrelevant to, the, to today. But the truth is, in our crazy times in 2020, the Sermon on the Mount is incredibly relevant because it tells followers of Christ how we should live in crazy times because they were having really crazy and challenging times 2,000 years ago. We've said that, that Jesus had gone out and he had done miracles. He'd gathered a group of disciples behind him. He'd raised the dead. He'd calmed storms. He had done everything to prove that he was a living God walking here in the flesh, uh, calling people to follow him, offering really what was a, a new life, a, a life that was countercultural and different uh, from all those living in that time and obviously countercultural in 2020. We've looked at it, and, and, and here's the beginning of it. Seeing the crowds, Jesus goes up on a mountain. He, he sat down. Uh, back in those days, the teachers would sit, and the people, the disciples, the listeners would all stand. And the people came to him, and he started, he started talking to them. And, and, and he said, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor, not, not poor financially, but those of us who recognize that we're spiritually poor, that we need God, that we need help, we need support, we need transformation. Blessed are the spiritually poor, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, not mourn like in the death of someone, but, but mourn over our sin. As, as we look at the world today, it's, it's challenging for me to be able to read the headlines and to see what's going on in the world and to see self-inflicted, government-inflicted uh, pain and sin that's hurting uh, literally millions of people as we talk uh, inside. So we mourn over the sin, our sin, absolutely, but also over the sin of the world that's there. Uh, they, they also say, blessed are the meek. Well, last week we talked about that, and we said, meek is not weak. Meek is that is that ability is Jesus Christ was, was meek. With all the power in the world, meek means power under control. And that's what we want. He says, blessed are the meek, happy are the meek. If I can control my power and not respond in anger, not seek revenge, uh, not lash out at other people when I'm cut off in traffic or, or any of those things, or, or even listen to talking heads on TV. And, and not get angry. That's power under control. Uh, and so God says power under control. It's not, it, it's not weak. It's, it's controlling the power God gives us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be satisfied if, if we truly seek to live like Christ in this world. If we seek to put on his nature, his character, and think like he thinks and move and, and treat people the way he treated people. And that's seeking righteousness. That's being like Christ. That's, that's blessed. Are we happy? Are we if we're doing that? And, and it goes on. And, and blessed are the uh, merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Seems just counterintuitive. Yeah, if, if we show mercy, God can give us mercy. 
because he's giving back to us in kind. And uh, this week, one that kind of sums it all up, if you will, because all of these things can be boiled down to what's in our heart. And so when Jesus is blessed or happy uh, are those with a, with a pure heart, they're going to see God. And, and isn't that what we want? To see God. But, but more than that, as we live down here, to see world, the world like he does. Blessed are those whose heart is pure, uh, pure, free from corrupt desire, sin, or guilt. Heart is the word cardia. Uh, in, in the Greek language, it denotes the center of physical and, and spiritual life. Truly, it's our heart that defines us. Not only in this, in this world, as people interact with us, you've heard the expression, he's got a good heart. You've probably heard the expression too, he got a bad heart. Uh, one or the other, but they'll look at someone and they'll categorize their whole life by the condition of their heart. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who have a pure heart, who have a good heart, who literally have a holy heart. That core of them is, is pure and holy. And one of the things about that, it's, it's that heart that God looks at. It's, it's that heart that God judges. This, this, this Greek word cardia is, is, talks about the center of us. It is what goes on when we leave this earth. When I leave this earth, this, this incredibly stunning, handsome, physical specimen of a body isn't here, and certainly whatever I have is not going with me. We'll get a new body, a new creation, but, but what defines us, really defines us, to, to God and to those who know us is our heart. When, when God looks at us, what does he say about our heart? When our husbands, our wives, our friends, our neighbors, when they, when they look at us, do they see kindness and gentleness inside of our heart? A pure heart that's, that's patient and loving and full of joy? Is, is that the heart that we have? I, I have no doubt. It's the heart that we want. Anyone that, that doesn't want that pure and, and holy heart doesn't understand. So that's where we're going uh, today. And so as we start, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, boy, what a challenge you put in front of us. What an invitation, what an opportunity to have a pure heart. Blessed, happy are we when we have a pure heart. And, and because of the promise of that, it says we can see God. We can know God. We can interact. Because of a pure heart, we can come into your presence through Jesus Christ. We thank you. Open our hearts. Show us ways that we can create this heart that you desire. Thanks that you'll do that. Ask in Christ's name. Amen. Again, the verses again, the whole, the whole Sermon on the Mount plays out and, and it sits in front of us. And, and it really all does come down to pure heart. We've, we've gone through each one of these things as we went. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed uh, are those who hunger and thirst. Now, blessed are the pure in heart. This is, this is the challenge. The goal is very simple, to look inside of ourselves and to do a, uh, a spiritual heart check. We have a, we have a handout that we'll uh, recommend as we go through, but it's a spiritual heart check that very simply, based on, on God's word, 
which is living and active and sharper than a sword that'll go in and show us our heart. We'll go through and talk about that. Today's literally a, a heart uh, exam. We're going to bore into the center of Christ's message for his followers 2,000 years ago, but it's also for today. These crazy times that we live in, it'll be our heart that God is looking at, and he'll be looking to see what's in there. So heart exam. We'll do a, a, a spiritual ECG. We're going to ask everyone, well, we're not going to ask anyone to get on a physical treadmill. Thank you very much. But we will get on a spiritual treadmill. We will put, I hope, our hearts to the test to see how they stand up under stress. And we want to check our, our spiritual blood pressure and heart rates, if you will. We want to know the condition of our heart. It, it's so important to, to do that. So, so many and sad stories, and I don't want, mean to minimize them, but so many times people who, who have a heart defect live their lives out, and then they, they come into a point, and suddenly, with almost without excuse, they die. They pass away. Just lost a friend a couple years ago. No warning whatsoever. Healthy dancing that morning. She was in the office. And that afternoon, she passed away. In a moment like that, it was a heart issue. They, they had to go find out what caused this. It was a heart issue. And so as we walk and, and talk about our spiritual heart, we don't want to be surprised down the road because it is our heart that God looks at. We'll, do a, we'll look at our heart. We'll do a personal inventory. We'll look at what we can do to prevent Heart failure. What's, what's an ongoing routine and method for us to keep our heart in the right place? But first, let's start with the basics. Just remind ourselves that God is the all-knowing God. And when he looks at us, he looks at our heart. I, I love this verse. It says, I, Lord, I search the heart. I test the mind in order to give to every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his deeds. He says, that when I look at you, that's what, I, that's what I look at. Each day, really each moment, God is searching our heart. He sees through uh, what we present to the world, our, our external image that he puts on, our clothes, our physical condition. He bores through that. And, and he knows if we have a pure, clean, holy heart, or if we have a contaminated, polluted an unholy heart. Let that sink in for a moment. As we're talking, God's looking at our heart. He's looking at mine. He's looking at yours. To me, that gives me reason to pause. Not that I walk in fear or anything else, but God's looking at our hearts. He's looking at who we really are. Sometimes I've, I've been in services and organizations and, and places where they say, what if God put your thoughts up on that screen? How would you feel about that? And probably normally half the room goes, oh. That's what God looks at, though. He looks at what's on the inside of us. He wants a pure heart, free from corrupt desire, sin, guilt. He, he wants us to watch our heart. And this is, this is, if you will, a life verse that I have. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for out of it flows the streams of life. If there's one thing we, we want to protect, protect and and guard and make sure it's not polluted and or corrupted 
It's, it's not our money that's put in the stock market. It's not our real estate investments. It's, it's not really even our relationships here on earth. It's our heart. It's that inner being of who we are. He says, guard your heart, that center of our, of our spiritual and physical life. Guard your heart with all vigilance, because out of it will flow everything else. All the streams of life will follow from there. He knows what's there. That, that's our hope today. His knowledge, his diagnosis, and it is 24-7, 24-7, 52. It's an ongoing, constant, as long as we're alive, he'll be checking our hearts. You know, he checks the heart of Christians, and he checks the heart of atheists. Uh, we speak, uh, as God is searching us, he's always there doing that. He doesn't need a search warrant. He doesn't need permission uh, from our governor to do anything. God does what God wants to do because it's best for us for him to keep in touch with our hearts so he can help us. Uh, Jesus talked about this as he was here on earth. You know, he, he talks about this time when we're going to see him because we all will. We're all going to die physically or if Christ comes back and we get to join him in the air, what a, what a moment that will be. Uh, as we all get together. But, but when he comes as king of kings and lord of lords, he's not going to look at our theology. He, he's really not going to look at the verses memorized, as important as that might be. He's not going to ask us how much money we gave. He's not going to ask about works. Uh, that's not the focus. God's going to look at my heart. He's going to look at your heart. Because the truth is, if, if we gave money with the right heart, if we did works for the right heart, he'll know those things. But that's not the essence of what's going to define our life in heaven. He is. It's a pure heart. And it's, the foundation of it is simple in Christianity. Because God tells us what it is up front. Jesus says, this is what's most important. If, if, if you want to boil down Christianity, Jesus did that for us. He said, love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. All of our heart, that, that center part of us, that's it, our internal core, our soul, our psyche, that, that vital force of life, the living soul that's there, our mind, what we think with, our rational thinking facilities and understanding, and with our strength, our our physical body and, and how we use it. Love God with everything we've got. Uh, Jesus leaves nothing out of his command for us to love God and, and to love our neighbors. And out of love for God and out of love for others, uh, very important. And, and this is for those of you who might be just checking Christianity out. God doesn't demand that, our love. He earns it. He earns it. He rationally puts before us evidence of his love for us, evidence of his existence. He doesn't ask us to leave our, our brains and our reason at the church house door. He gives us rational, objective evidence for the reasons to show that, that he exists and he's worthy of our love. This is the God who reveals himself to us in creation. Evidence of design is shown in, in the balance of anywhere from the cosmos to the smallest human cell with DNA. There's information and design, and 
that takes a that takes someone with information and knowledge and a designer and an organizer. He proves his, his existence in prophecy in the Bible. This is what first hooked me, that the Bible was true, that Jesus is who he said he was, the unity of the message of the Bible. Evidence that changed the lives of his followers is the resurrection of Christ. This is a historical event that, that the challenge has always been out there to atheists, agnostics, uh, anyone of any stripe, any other religion in the world disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ from, from the dead, and, and you'll Christianity will collapse. Everyone that's tried, some of those brilliant minds of the last century, all became Christians and wrote books about it, uh, which are available to all of us. God proves his love, and he proves his worthiness of our love, our worship, our service. It is something that is rational, as a matter of fact, it would be irrational and foolish with all the clear evidence that we have to not love God. He sends his son to die for us. Jesus pays for our sins. It would be a jaded heart of anyone who would deny the evidence and not loving. You know, uh, first, check our heart. Do we love God? Do we love God? Is it... Is it love and such a thing that transforms and changes our lives it gives us energy because that's what love does love energizes us toward the object of our love and next what kind of a heart do we have is it is it a i love this it, it sounds bad when i first read it is is our pure heart it's is it humble and broken wait a minute come on everyone's read the books the novels and the the romance things a broken heart that's the word oh no he broke her heart or vice versa broke the heart that's terrible don't want to do that god says it's what he wants but not broken in the sense of painfulness broken of pride and self-will uh, david caught in a horrendous uh couple of sins murder and adultery and in the middle of that, he's confronted, he sees his sin, and, and he faces God. And he says, God, you do not delight in sacrifices of giving up this, that, and everything else. He says, if, you could, if sacrifices would make this happen, that's okay. Uh, but you won't be pleased with that. The sacrifices of God from King David 2,700 years ago and today in 2020, the sacrifices of God... Or a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. That's what God wants. He wants us to humbly approach him, lovingly approach him with, with a broken and a contrite heart. Broken, if you will, at our will, our free will is handed over to him. Control of our life is handed over to him. We're broken. We, we put our hands up and say, God, your will be done, not mine. Thank you for the circumstances I'm in. I trust you to get me through it. And, and the next verse, he says, uh, as he goes forward, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility of heart uh, towards one another. God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. So humble ourselves under God. This is, this is laying our lives down, laying down control. This is a broken and a contrite heart. So when God looks at our heart, he looks at its condition. Is it humbly, lovingly broken before him so that he can direct and guide us in his ways and, and will we listen to him when he speaks to us the next thing is is will we obey 
a, a pure heart is, this is a, a slam dunk, uh, a pure heart is an obedient heart. I, Jesus says, well, hey, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep your commandments. You'll keep my commandments. You know, we, we can't say we love God. We're our neighbor. And not seek the best for them. To find out what their heart's desires are. And, and to obey them. I can't say, uh, my wife's here. I always love that. I can't say I love my wife. And, not, and strive not to meet her needs and, and find out her desires and her requests. Love submits to the other person. Love seeks to serve. Love obeys. That's that broken heart again. The rebellion is gone. God, you win. You know what's best. You know, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a foundational understanding in Christianity that o- obedience honors God. Disobedience Choosing not to follow him has consequences. Sin always has consequences. And this, this verse pulls that out, that, that comes out of 1 John. It says, if, if anyone sins, we have an advocate. We have a, we have a lawyer. We have someone standing between us and God. It's Jesus the righteous. And here's a word that, that isn't thrown around in casual conversations. We use it often here. Uh, because it's got such spiritual impact. Jesus Christ is a propitiation for our sins. A propitiation. I love that word. But what it literally means is someone who, who stands between us in judgment. Jesus Christ is a propitiation. You see, every sin is a tear. It's a rip. It's a flaw in the holy nature of God and his creation. So every, every sin has a cost. Every sin has a price. Every sin has to be paid for. It's, it's, the, old, you know, it's the overarching basic truth of moral life. When we sin, we have real moral guilt. Jesus Christ is a propitiation for our sins. He pays for our sins. He stands between us, and if you will, and the judgment of God. Not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And so that being the case, <laughs> that's how we, keep, know we, we know all that if we keep his commandments. If we say we, we know him and we don't keep his commandments, we're a liar. If we, if, if, and we, if we say we love him, then, then his, we'll obey and his love is perfected in us. You know, this concept of, of, of adding sin on top of God offering of Christ is something that that we just can't do. So our advocate changes our heart. Uh, So when we sin, we have someone to pay, but we we don't want to willfully do that. And one of the things that is, is sad in any personal relationship, when someone, a husband, a wife, a child, a parent, continues to sin against someone, particularly someone who's loving and providing for him and caring for him. One of the saddest things is, is this spiraling divorce rate or even, even not even marriage, just spiraling separation of relationships inside of our, inside of our country today. Uh, it, it's this division and strife that's there, this, this sinning against each other willfully as we go along. Sin has become acceptable 
we don't see the danger. So, so there's often willful sin when a, when a husband or wife, uh, a friend, knows what the other person wants, and they, they willfully don't do that. They, they willfully go out to hurt the other person by sinning against them. Jesus is clear uh, in that relationship with us. If, if we go on sinning deliberately, willfully, on purpose, after we know we shouldn't do it, there will not remain a sacrifice for our sins. That propitiation of Jesus Christ because of our willful choice, not because of God's, our willful choice to choose sin over loving Jesus, that, that protection is taken away. And the, the punishment, look what it is, will, will be deserved by someone who, because sinning against God and knowing it is like trampling underfoot the Son of God, profaning the blood of the covenant that Christ shed for us, that we actually celebrate every communion. We celebrate the covenant of his blood by which, which he was sanctified. And it outrages the Holy Spirit within us. We're sinning and the Holy Spirit is outraged going, don't do that. Sin. Willful sin. It flows out of not a pure heart, but a polluted, uh, unbroken, willful, selfish heart. So sin is, is one of those things that we look at and we say, no, as followers of Christ, we can't do that. A pure heart keeps us from doing that. You know, Jesus' words, blessed are a pure heart. We will see God. You know, so how do we get a pure heart? How do we do that? It's, uh, I started to come up with some uh, verses, and I, I went to the source of all current wisdom, Google, in secular land, and I said, I, I put a search in there, and I, I just said uh, some, some follow-your-heart quotes, and, you know, you get 22 million of them in, in 0.1 seconds or something like that. They just started flowing out. Here's some of the suggestions that they had. Follow your heart, oh, or spend the rest of your life wishing you had. Hmm. Sometimes, you have to follow your heart no matter what the consequences. A book written by a, a man named Tim Hahn uh, said, uh, follow your heart and then take action on it. Uh, here, here's my favorite of all these secular ones. Follow your heart and take your brain along. I thought that was good. This is in the culture of do your own thing. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. This is all good advice to a certain extent. But it's predicated, it's based upon one particular assumption. What kind of heart do we have? That, uh, in December 2020, we live in the age of false teachings, false philosophies, false indoctrination. Uh, for the last 60 years, and every high school graduating class was, was taught by Abraham Maslow and his hierarchy of needs, Sigmund Freud, Carl Rogers, Charles Darwin, now, now Dr. Phil. You know, this, this brainwashing tells us that people inside of our country, we're told that, that we should seek our own good. We should have a high self-esteem. No matter, no matter what our behavior, no matter how sinful or degrading our lifestyle, we should maintain a high self-esteem. Recent study in, a, uh, in the penitentiary system inside of our country, which is one of the uh, captive audiences where high self-esteem is taught, it High self-esteem is taught in two captive audiences, one public schools and two uh, federal prisons. 
And so they actually did a survey to, to evaluate their teaching. So they did an open inventory test before they indoctrinated all of these prisoners in, uh, in, in, in high self-esteem and made sure they maintain it. And you know what they found out? The people with the highest self-esteem in, in the inventory test were the most violent, were the cruelest, were the rapists, were the murderers, were the people who just didn't give a rip about anybody else. They had high self-esteem. Why should they worry about anybody else? And, of course, we continue to spend billions of dollars to raise their high self-esteem. The truth is that we, we want an honest, accurate self-esteem. You know, so as we look at our heart, follow our heart. If you've got the right heart, if you've got God's heart, follow that. But if you don't, don't follow your heart. Because there's two choices. And now, no one in our age, again, because of the conditioning and training and indoctrination, we're born with a deceitful, sick heart. We're not born with a pure heart. In in this verse that we've been looking at all along is uh, Jeremiah uh, 17.10. The verse before it says, The heart is deceitful above all else. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, I... For the first 33 years of my life, I deceived myself. I really honestly uh, thought I was a good person. I, uh, Bill? Come on, Bill's way cool. God would never send me to hell be- because he loves me. Th- that's so much of what's happening inside of our country today. If I ask people, if you were to die today, why would you get into heaven? I've said this so many times, but you try it. Talk to people and ask them, well, if you were to die today, why would you get into heaven? Uh, they're going to they're be turning out, and the answer will be, well, I'm a good person. God loves me. He won't send me to hell. All that's true. God will not send us to hell. Okay, take that to the bank. We choose to go to hell when we choose to reject God's offer for a new heart in Christ Jesus. Secular psychology, modern education deny the clear evidence that we're born sinners. All you have to do is look in the news or just the evidence around us. Uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, human trafficking, date rape, sexual perversion, killing of innocent babies, genocide the world round, wars, <clears throat> mass murders, looting, torture, refugee camps, human rights violations, persecution of Christians, and each one of you can continue that list. As we look around, the evidence of mankind without God is destructive. The human heart is deceitful. It is wicked. When given power, power corrupts absolutely. So uh, if we say we have a naturally good heart, then we're wrong. But here's the good news. We're born with a deceitful heart, a fallen heart, a selfish heart, a prideful heart. And again, it's proven any two-year-old, you let run the house. I love it. They will demonstrate the principle of a desperate, sick heart in a matter of moments as their kids, uh, as the kids drive their parents out of their, out of their gourds. Well, how do we change that heart we're born with? Well, we get a, we get a transplanted heart. You see, God offers us a spiritual heart transplant. And this is, this is one, of, one of my favorite verses that comes out of the Old Testament. It describes this concept of being born again. 
It says, here's what God does when we choose to follow him. Back even in the day, sprinkle your clean water on you. You'll be clean from all your uncleanliness. Even back in the Old Testament, he said, hey, your sins are gone. He says, they're paid for. They're, they're atoned for. Uh, and, and, and you'll be free from all your idols, all these things we worship, our money, uh, our health, our, our homes, our cars, our jobs, our intellect. All of those idols that we put up in front of God, they're going to be removed. And here it is. God, God gives us a new heart, a new spirit. He takes out the spirit of the world, the spirit that follows after Satan, and he puts God's spirit in us. He removes our heart of stone and gives us one of flesh, of soft and tender. And the spirit in us will cause us to walk in his statutes and be careful to follow his rules. You see what he gives us? A broken and a contrite heart. A heart that's obedient, willing to follow, responsive to him. This is all part of being born again. It's the living hope for every Christian and for every person that's hearing. That hope is a promise. For each person can have a new life in Christ. We can get a heart transplant. You know, over 40 years ago, I, I learned the truth about God and his love. I fully understood that Jesus personally paid for my sins. And I gave up. I said, God, I, you're so unbelievably loving, powerful, true, and generous. That take over my life. Take, give me that heart. Give me that new life. And, and that was 40 years ago. He gave me a new heart, a new spirit, a desire and a power to follow him. And he does that for everyone that says yes. It's a transformation. It's, it's a new birth. And so blessed are those people because they'll see God. Well, what's the cost of a pure heart? You know, I recently had a, a shoulder implant put in. And, uh, and, and it cost $57,000. Thank you, taxpayers, for Medicare. Uh, appreciate all that in our supplement. It cost me nothing. And, and there's the cost of us for a new and a heart transplant is, first off, the cost of God is unbelievable. The cost of God is that Jesus had to bear our sins on a cross so we would die to sin and live to righteousness. We're not ransomed in any simple, easy way we're ransomed and our sins are paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The cost of God is, is, is immeasurable as to the cost of, of a new heart, a new life, the removal of our sins by his wounds and his blood. We're ransomed. So why? Don't, don't miss the, the important part of that, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. God didn't save us to continue on being sinner rat dogs, choosing to ignore and rebel against the living God. He chose to give us a new heart so that we could be transformed. You know, that's the cost to God. What's the cost to you and me for a new heart? Well, nothing and everything. Nothing first. For by grace, we've been saved. Grace means a gift. Uh, through faith, by believing that Christ paid for our sins, we're saved. We get a new heart. We get a new life. Sins are forgiven. 
And it's not our doing, it's a gift. We can't work, we can't boast, we can't do anything. It's laid on the table. It's yours. Free. Well, if. If. If we choose to lay our lives down out of love for the God that died for us, this rational decision to lay our lives down for the one who laid his life down for us. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives through me. See the new heart? Christ now lives through me. I now have Christ's heart. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. This is a new heart. Jesus says, you want to follow me, come after me. Deny your plan. Take up your cross. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if we lose our life, that's the cost. Crucified with Christ, lose our life. We'll gain it. We'll gain eternal life through Jesus Christ. And in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual world, that's free to us. That's the gift that he gives us. So, so what do we do with that? Well, we accept it. We, we, we give God control. And it's not smoke and mirrors. You know, for so many years, I, I prayed the prayer, God, get me out of this, I'll serve you forever. So many years I thought that I was a Christian following him. So many people have had a, um, a, a camp experience or listening to a message on the radio and quickly say a 30-second prayer. And, and they think that that transforms their life. No, God searches the heart. We have to know the cost. We have to, with wisdom and understanding, lay it down. You know, because uh, and, and, God knows our heart. Don't, don't make any mistake about that. Uh, one of the things about knowing, and we know each other's heart over time, um, for almost 55 years, now 56 years coming up this month, my wife Ronnie and I have been married. I know her heart. She knows my heart. I am not perfect. I didn't hear an amen from the audience, so okay. Uh, but it's true, I'm not perfect. But you know something? She knows I will never deliberately hurt her. I will protect her. I will serve her. Because that's my heart. Of course, I make mistakes and fail, and, and she can't hear this, but she, she does too. But I know her heart. I know her heart, and that's how God knows our heart. Guys, it's our heart that, that, that's important. Uh, this is true in all of us. When we enter heaven, we'll be in a community of fellowship of pure and broken hearts. How, how can we know that we have a pure heart? Well, ask God. You know, we're going to spend a few moments in doing what we call a spiritual heart check. And what, I'm not going to go to it in any great detail, but, but I just want you to know that I, the Lord, he says, I, we ask him, search our heart. Search, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. If there's any hurtful way in me, show me. And he promises he'll do that. So the first thing with God is just an open conversation. What's my heart, God? Is it tender and obedient or is it not? What, where can I grow? What can I do? You know, these are what this search me and know my heart is one of my favorite verses. Uh, ask God to do that. You know, God, please take care of that. Please look inside of my life. My, my experience has been... And I tell people this, because we all pray. I mean, 
even, even those people far from God, when given situations that are untenable to them, they pray. But the big thing isn't about speaking to God. No. It's listening to God. Ask a question. Show me my sin. And then, shut up. And listen. Don't show me my pride. Show me my selfishness. And you will. It may come in a, in a word or an impression or a picture back to something that's happened. Or it may be at some time later you're reading the Bible and you go, oh, there it is. You may have someone pointed out to you. Whatever it is, listen to God. And, and again, the spiritual uh, heart check that we've been giving out uh, for so many years is, is pretty straightforward. It's, it's on our website. It's on our app. Uh, we have physical copies here. We'll make them available to you. Uh, if you don't have one, I carry one in my Bible. I, I wore it out. Uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, so I won't spend a lot of time on this, but I'm just going to just kind of highlight it because it, it says connecting with Jesus and the Holy Spirit daily will determine success in our life. How do we do that? Uh, the verse is, if you remain in me or abide in me and my word remains in you, if we connect regularly with Jesus Christ like a, like a, like a branch to the vine so his life flows through us, we'll, we will continue to be alive. God will flow through us. We will bear much fruit and we will bring glory to God. So the first thing is, is connecting with God on a daily basis. And the warning in 2020 is the next one. Because Jesus gave a parable of four seeds. Uh, and, and these four seeds are four hearts. So get ready. Four hearts. The same seed goes into each heart. One is a hard heart. It's a path. And the seed lays on top and the devil comes by and eats it right away. The second one is so common in our country. We have a spiritual experience. The second seed, but it's thin soil. It sprouts up and, and they buy new Bibles, get the bumper stickers and everything and then tribulation, trials come along, someone makes fun of them, and they give up on God. There's no roots built. Second seed. Third seed is one that most people are familiar with, and, and we have to fight this one, because the third seed falls in the middle of life. The, the seed is growing, but it's choked out by the deceitfulness of riches the cares and the concerns of this world. Oh, got too much time. Only got five minutes for my Bible or don't even have five minutes. I'll do it tomorrow. Uh, it's choked out. Situations come and our life gets choked out. Many people I know, you're listening, you're choked out. That's, you know, what is that? Uh, you, you, you tap out when you're being choked out. Well, it's time to stop that and, and push back the weeds. And, and he turns around and we, of course, we want to be the good soil. It falls on, you know, the seed falls on good soil. Good, listen, good, honest-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge crop. So as, as we look at our lives, are we being choked out or are we bearing fruit inside of this? Where, where are we on that? You know, the, as we go in, in, as we continue to go down, it's next, uh, God talks about us after the seeds. He turns around and, and, he, and, he, and he tells us to test ourselves. Again, back to the same ones. But, there's a, but there's, a, there's, a, there's a kicker inside of that. Search me and point in my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
Is there anything in me that offends you? But if we claim we have no sin, so many people go in not expecting to hear anything. If you sit down with God and honestly ask to have your sins revealed and you don't get any, ask your mate, ask your kids, ask your pastor. I'll be glad to tell you what's going on. No, uh, don't ask me. But if we claim we have no sin, we're fooling ourselves. Uh, confess our sins. So when we sit down with God, we should be aware of our strengths. And, and this is not a shame thing. There's no condemnation. We, we fall short, not deliberately, but we ask for help and we get up and we go on repenting, ask for forgiveness. One of the greatest feeding, growing tools we have is the Bible. I said this earlier, as we read it, and if we're a follower of Christ, we read it. Did I make that clear? You can't say you love God and not read his love letter. You can't say you want to follow God and not read his instructions. We can't say we want to serve God and not read where he wants us and how he wants us to serve. And, and as we read it, uh, it's powerful. It's alive. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It will pierce us and it will show us and separate our, our justification and rationalization, our soul and our spirit, and show us what's wrong. All scripture's inspired. It's, it's, it's a lifetime study. Please, please read your Bible with an open heart. And the next question in this uh, heart checks, what's the fruit? And so often I live my life with ugly fruit. Uh, ugly fruit would be immorality, thoughts, junk thoughts, hostility, quarreling, outbursts of anger, trying to control everyone's selfish ambitions, divisions, all drunkenness. That would be me. That's when I was following the flesh. But, but then God says, he gives us love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. This is not rocket science. This is biblical Christianity 101. There are the verses. There are the words. There are the th- Where are we? And, 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 and obviously recognize that God is reaching out to make that us. You know, so uh, what's the fruit in our life? Do we have anxious, fearful, stressed out thoughts? In other words, we don't trust God. Not, not that we shouldn't take precautions and see danger and all that other stuff, but we should trust God in all these circumstances because he's certainly God of the circumstances. Don't worry. Thank God for all that he's doing. And, and the personal thing in relationships, are you angry with anyone? Is there anyone you haven't forgiven? Is anyone angry at you? God's clear. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. You're asking the devil into your life. Live at peace as far as it's possible with you, with everybody. Again, before we start going after other people, look at the look at the log that's in our eye before you go picking specks out. That's a powerful verse when you when you think of other people and you're so focused on them. God says, look at yourself first. Look in the mirror and, and pull that out. The last question on the heart check is really a great one. Are we being honest with ourselves? You know, you, we read through this checklist and it's easy to be deceived. 
Ask God to search. Ask him to lead. Because he says, if you're, if you're truly my disciples, you'll know the truth and it'll set you free. Don't run from the truth. Don't run from the truth. Again, a simple daily heart check. If you don't have one, please use the ones we have available. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. You know, uh, he searches our heart, he tests our mind. Keep our hearts clear with all vigilance. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you that, that you're the gracious, loving God that pours out upon us mercy, grace, forgiveness. Lord, the cost of a new heart to us is astronomical. It's the death of your son. But the cost to us, Lord, is, is nothing in comparison we lay down a broken, deceitful heart and you give us a new, spontaneous, pure heart that we might serve you with. Give us the wisdom to submit to you in love. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.